Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, mystery and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of running a creative business in this challenging world. We'll hear from the people who make this possible, the authors, the cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast Book Show from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. And welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, episode number 133. My name is Adrian Hobart. My name is Rebecca Collins. And together we run Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers of the following four genres. Thrillers. Crime. Suspense. And mysteries. And the cat is sitting in the pink <laughs> chair opposite us, staring at us and yawning. Uh, we're that interesting. <laughs> yeah, we are. Well, let's hope the show is a little bit better than that. Welcome to the show. Our guest this week is Linda Mather, who is a brilliant author and uh, is published by Joffy. She is indeed, yes. And we're really looking forward to speaking to her. It's a terrific interview. So uh, Linda Mather later in the show. News is a little thin on the ground. It is, after all, the point where the publishing industry disappears off to Tuscany or wherever they What did you holiday. call it the other... Uh, Chiantyshire. Yeah. Uh, so you said, oh, so some of them will be in Chiantyshire. And I thought that was in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> Because it sounds like a Scottish county. I don't know. But, I mean, you know, we were discussing a couple of weeks ago how how publishing industry actually put on their out of office, you know, we're working summer hours or holiday yeah, hours. Yeah, well, or whatever. it was summer hours, yeah. So, uh, in it is a little quiet. I mean, there's, you know, various companies have swooped for so-and-so and this, that and the other, but we're never interested in that, really. Um, no. Not terribly. There's too much swooping in the world. Yeah, I think so. And it, it, well, I mean, in terms of news, I look at across the pond uh, in the United States and the industry is full of litigation at the moment. And we've, oh dear. we've talked, well, we <laughs> talked about the, you know, there's about to be a result in terms of that uh, case we talked about months ago about whether it was all right for, uh, you know, in terms of infringement of copyright. Oh, right. Okay. By yes. the Internet Archive. And that judgment is due soon. So okay. possibly we'll bring you news yeah. of, of that and the implications of that next week. Um, but in the United States, there has been litigation um, against the big five publishers mm. and Amazon. And the accusation is that they've been colluding on ebook prices. Oh, dear. Really? Yeah. And it's so. Turns out that uh, for the second time in two years, a magistrate judge in New York has recommended that a consumer class action lawsuit accusing the big five publishers of colluding with Amazon to fix ebook prices should be dismissed. So that is, uh, you know, again another defeat for the for, for the punters. Um, but this is the interesting part: mm. the court found that monopolization and attempted monopolization claims against Amazon should proceed. It's a 59-page report. The magistrate in question is Valerie Figueredo. Uh, she found sufficient facts at the pleading stage to plausibly allege that Amazon's conduct has allowed it to charge supra-competitive commission fees, leading to reduced competition in the e-book platform's transaction market and higher e-book prices for consumers. 
Interesting. Yeah. Um, so that's that'll that'll rattle on. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazon, of course, will contest that and say that's not the case. But it is the case that if you sign up for Kindle Unlimited, yeah, you can't offer your ebooks anywhere else. No, it's, that's just what we term being exclusive or wide. Yes, and so perhaps that's the the real fulcrum of that case. Well, that is a example of monopolisation, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. Yeah, because we are restricted. And you mentioned to me um, this morning that if you are in, if your ebook is in KU, you can't give away a book on your website to subscribers. Technically, no, you can't. No, and I didn't know that. And no, I, and that is restrictive because you're giving it away as a present, effectively. So you, you, you can't. can do. I mean, you can do it under the table, but you can't actually go out and publicly say, yeah. "No, no, no, absolutely right." And we can't sell our e- own eBooks. No. Uh, on our own website, no. we can sell the paperbacks, but we can't sell the eBooks. Uh, look, it's the devil you do, I and mean, because you know, fifty percent of our, you know, on average, turnover is generated by page reads through Kindle Unlimited. Absolutely, we'd be mad to come out of Kindle. Yeah, when we have gone wide, it hasn't worked for us. And the other, the other thing is that um, so the um, um, Crime Fest Specsavers Awards, mm. we can't enter our books for those because the um, entries have to be e- uh, wide for ebook. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, of course, I've forgotten that. Well, so I feel yeah. quite restricted by that as well. Yeah, <laughs> gosh, they, you know, every which way you look, it, it, there's restrictions and difficulties. So that, 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 that's one story that, that we should keep an eye on. Yes, definitely, um, yeah. Uh, you know, that's a, that in, an interesting uh, development. Um, in the, uh, you talk about prizes. Well, uh, you know, some associates of ours, A.M. Heath, uh, one of our authors, Mark Whiteman, is represented by A.M. Heath. They yeah. are an agency. Ewan Thornycroft is the agent for Mark Whiteman and indeed He's is, been on the podcast as well. He has been on the podcast and is the, the sort of front of house for this new initiative to uh, launch a new crime fiction writing prize for unagented and unpublished authors. Mm. Top prize, £3,500. Fantastic. Uh, and do you get representation as well? Do I think know? so, oh, yeah. I would imagine if you're good enough to win the prize, then you're good enough to be represented by um, so they the look, agency. Yeah, they are so. looking for new talent from the UK and Ireland. Well, that's um, fantastic. So go for it, people, if you haven't got an agent. Indeed. And you have a book. And then um, something that we caught in The Guardian, which was uh, a sort of positive spin on indie life. Uh, <laughs> one of our sort of uh, contemporaries, um, slightly different part of the market, I would say, uh, but someone you've been aware of for a very long yeah, time. Yeah, no, I have a lot of um, respect. This is Blue Moose Books, who are based in Hebden Bridge. Um, and it's run by Kevin Duffy and his partner mainly and a bunch of freelancers. So not that dissimilar to us in those terms um also run from their home now i follow them on twitter because um they used to have a dog called eric and every morning kevin would um, post a picture of um eric slumped on the sofa after he'd had a walk <laughs> yes <laughs> so i think you know quite a lot of people followed this and became quite fond of eric and then sadly eric had to be put down recently oh, and no. the flood of love for kevin and blue moose because of this um, but anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that they are um, a literary, small independent publisher. And the article in The Guardian is just highlighting um, that you can be a successful small indie publisher, run from your own home. Um, and it, the proportional number of prizes that that company has won for their books and for themselves. Well, they've, in the last four <laughs> years, they've had 16 
um, shortlistings for literary prizes. And they publish 10 a year, so... Yeah, they, between 8 and 10 a year. Um, and they remortgaged their home to start the company in they the first did. place yes. 17 years ago. So, you know, it's a formula. He doesn't pay himself a tiny salary, as he describes it in the article. Mm. Um, you know, it is a success story, you know, within the, the those realms. But, it, you know, it isn't... Um, it's doing it for the love. It's a vocation. Seven-day-a-week vocation, he describes it as, Kevin. Yes. And but, as you say, I've just found the tweet... R.I.P. Eric. Which yeah, was, um, it was it was really sad, sad. and you, you should end see of, our comment on there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, that is very sad. And uh, there's a, a, a sort of pinned tweet to the literary agent who said to me when I was a sales rep in London, "And what do you do?" And when I told her, replied, "You mean you're not creative," and walked off. <laughs> this is what I do. I publish award-winning books that sell around the world. Hold a grudge? You bet. <laughs> I think from our, he's in our blood, blood type, as uh, someone would describe it. And one of the things that, um, one of the, the things I respect uh, about him and his company is that they, they really champion um, voices from um, sort of lower socioeconomic backgrounds. And it's not like they deliberately go out to seek voices from those backgrounds, but they just seem to attract writers, mm. really good writers. And, you know, I've read some of their books. I've read uh, two or three now, and they're just—they are brilliant. They're really, really good. So they, their success is well deserved. And he's obviously got a very, very good eye for, um, for quality. Talent. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that's, that's a positive spin. Yeah, uh, nice to uh, see know, it. It's sort of counterbalanced to what we were saying last week when I had my little rant about the IPG. Um, <laughs> anyway, I still hold to it. <laughs> my views haven't changed. Uh, anyway, let's get into our interview and talk to Linda Mather. And uh, Linda spoke to us from her home in Worcestershire. Yes, Bromsgrove. Bromsgrove, to be exact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> glad you remembered. Um, and it was one of those really nice interviews where, you know, she really has um, embraced the, uh, the the author lifestyle yeah. and really, really been very, very productive. She, the, she's one of those career writers, I call them. And we've interviewed quite a few where they... Make that decision, right? That's it. I'm I'm starting a new job, and they make it a new job, and it's their job, and that's what they do. They research, they write, they make themselves known. Like she talks about in the interview, she goes to conferences and festivals because that's what you would do if you were in a profession. It is actually a very interesting interview. Yes, and I mean, you know, her main protagonist in her principal series is an astrologer and a PI, which is fascinating because... Really, Linda dabbles in the astrology and has been a PI. Yes. So she's <laughs> so writing, writing from what you know, as she tells us in this great interview. Linda Mather. Lovely to speak to Linda Mather. Thank you for joining us. It's really great to be here. I'm a sort of mini fan of the podcast, so it's fantastic to be here. And I'm very excited about the random question, unreasonably excited about it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, you know, it comes as a surprise to me, so I, I, I'm kind of excited. But apparently, it was triggered by something I said earlier. So, yes, it was something he said. He said just as we sat down to do this, so I have it there, <laughs> ready. Right. Okay. So I would be worried because, uh, yeah, it was not broadcastable. What I was talking about. Don't be daft. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, look, welcome to the madness of the Hopcast Book Show. It's really a pleasure to speak to you, and um, we're very excited because we're speaking to you on the eve not far away from the publication of book six in your series. So uh, it's exciting time, a busy time for you. 
Yes, it is. It's very exciting. As, as uh, a lot of writers will know who are listening, this is like the big moment that you look forward to. And it's, I think one of the things, it starts to feel real, you know, all those times when you're sitting with it and you're in that, you know, just putting black on white, as they say, just, just putting the words down. And it's easy to lose sight of the fact that it is going to be a book. And at this stage, you suddenly realise, oh, my goodness, it's a book. And you see the cover. The cover looks fantastic. And um, it's the kind of relaunching the whole series. So we're going to have different covers, so that's very exciting. And yes, it's it's due out on the 23rd of August, the next one in the series. It's called The Perfect House for Murder. And uh, yeah, it is an exciting time. It's, oh, it is. Yeah, so new covers. So Joffy, I mean, you're with Joffy Books. Um, They've been doing a lot of refreshing of of, of things as well, uh, I notice. What's their thinking? Is that, you know, that giving it new covers gives it new impetus? It's like going out for new clothes. <laughs> and I'm all for that as well, actually. It's <laughs> equally nice boost to go out for a new wardrobe. Yeah, I suppose it's um, it does give them a new kind of lease of life. I mean, they've not been out all that long anyway, but no. um, it's nice. I mean, it, Joffy have been absolutely fantastic. They're, they're fantastic to work with. They're very positive and, and, you know, helpful in what they suggest. So really this came, it's come a little bit from me, but mainly I think from Joffy around just what this one would look like. And um, and then from that, because this one does look really different from the others, it's like, oh, well, it's a good time to refresh what the whole series will look like. And so I haven't even seen the others yet, but I hope to sometime very soon. Yeah, I think you know possibly the the change is a reflection of the change of of, of the genre at the moment, um, and and I think that you know judging by that because you know you've got floral motifs that in is, the first five, haven't you, on the front, yeah. which is the sort of signature look, um, but now it's going to sort of more. Uh, uh, you're you're better at describing uh, uh, cover art than I am. How would, how would you describe it? I'm just going to get yeah, in. I so that you have. Fresh oh, well, here you are. Here's Perfect House for Murder. Oh, it's um, oh, it's that kind of gra- slightly graphic look, isn't it? Mm. It's very popular and very, very sort of bold fonts, but graphic, almost slightly um, gentle, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. It's... But it's, it's a very popular look at the moment. Yes, thank you. I think I think they've done a good job with it. And colour as well is going to be quite important with the others. I think that they're, they're, they're going to have different colours for each book, but very much in that style. It's a really good description, actually, Rebecca. It's been it's quite hard for me uh, um, as an author to choose book covers because I'm very aware that it's not my area of expertise. You know, I do the words and when I see options for book covers, I can go into a bit of a sort of tailspin. It's like, oh, well, sometimes I get a strong feeling of, no, I really don't like the look of that one. But then Joffy will come back to me and say, okay, so what do you like? And I start taking pictures of, you know, online and books in, and, and, um, and I realise that I'm, I'm no better than a punter here. I'm a, I'm a reader, really, when it comes to covers. And, and I really don't know. Um, but Joffy are very good at listening and they come up with lots of ideas and then gradually we sort of, I ask a few people as well, kind of get their views, their instant reactions. And what we liked about this one is that that kind of sharpness that you were describing about it. 
my books aren't really cozy at all. And so it needs to be, and they are contemporary. So it needs to look very modern and up to date. So hence the change of fonts and it's bright and sharp. So we like those kind of clear edges mm. and trying to send the message about the stories that they are very contemporary, very modern. I've got a kind of feisty female private investigator who you know doesn't take any prisoners she's she's very much her own person and um she she's been developing as the series goes on so it is very much her story although you'll see that on the on the cover as well there's a little button I think there's a technical name for that but I don't know what it is <laughs> uh, there's a button there and it says Joe and Macy series and yes, it says uh, a Joe and Macy mystery. No, that's a roundel. A roundel, yes. Roundel. Thank you. <laughs> I yeah, knew I that think... had a name. Not a button. It's a roundel. <laughs> I was thinking it was some sort of interactive thing where you press it and you hear voices or something. <laughs> that would be nice, wouldn't it? I think that might be just a, you know, maybe next. Maybe, maybe next maybe time. Maybe the next time. Yes, you never yeah, know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> There's a direct response to feedback we've had from readers because one of the things that the series has is a bit of a kind of off-on relationship with Joe and her boss, Macy. And he's one of these enigmatic, intriguing types that sometimes you love him and sometimes you hate him. And um, he's also quite elusive. So he's not there as a steady character throughout. He's in every book, but he's not necessarily there at every point of every book but he's like a touchstone that Joe goes back to sometimes, sometimes for advice, which sometimes she completely ignores and does quite different things. Uh, and sometimes for, to help him out with his cases, he runs a private investigation agency who employed her originally. Uh, although by the time we get to book six, she's a fully qualified private investigator in her own right. Um, so that's one of the things that readers really like. And, you know, that often I often get asked, what's happening to Joe and Macy next? You know, like, as if I know. <laughs> yeah, well, why would you know? <laughs> That's not <happened> yet. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I, I'm waiting to see. But they always have, you know, their interaction and how they get on is an important part of their development, I think, the development of the series. So it's quite nice to see that in that roundel mm. in, in the top corner. Yeah, so that, that was a nice innovation as well yeah that might... my cogs are going i'm thinking maybe we should do roundels like that <laughs> well we've done it a few times with um well, you know, prizes, prize nominations yeah isn't it? yeah no that's an interesting thing i mean it, it certainly takes up less space than having it as a big sentence it's across the top you can look more contemporary as well i do, I do like that so mm. <laughs> thank you joffy <laughs> <laughs> no i love that so joe hughes um the um your uh your principal protagonist is an astrologer and I'm fascinated by <laughs> the genesis of making her an astrologer someone because you, you were given a book some years ago about astrology and it, it drew you in that's right exactly well I suppose this came from that old adage write about what you know um and I've always been interested in astrology astrology is one of those fascinating things really because it's a bit of a love or hate thing isn't it so people it Hate, yes. And <laughs> that's fine. Um, you often find, though, so I'm going to ask you a question now. 
you might be one of the kind of scientific, um, rational, logical people in the world who kind of go, but there's no, absolutely no evidence for astrology whatsoever. And you, of course, would be quite right. There is, it's very hard to find any good research to back it up. However, I bet you know your sun sign, don't you? Yes. <laughs> you know, but the thing is, right, well, we are supposed to be really incompatible our star signs like the don't go there i've read you know i'm capricorn he's gemini and it all says don't go there well it's unusual but yes it's kind of interesting so capricorn is yeah you're the long-term thinkers the strategists and and gemini the great communicators of the world so i don't know if that fits in any way but that would be a quick reading (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think I think there is an element of that. Well, there is, but we, yeah, we are very different in some ways, but we're also worryingly similar in some ways. So it's it's a very strange blend. Yes, yeah, it doesn't stand up. Uh, let's not s- sit here scrutinising too closely because you know it'll fall apart. I dare say. Um, <laughs> but but in terms of how that impacts, you know, the, the yeah. detection of crimes or uh, unra- unraveling the mysteries. Mm-hmm. How much uh, how much role does that play in um, her insights into what's going on? It's pretty light touch, to be honest. For one thing, I should say absolutely up front here that I am not, you know, I, I wouldn't claim to be an astrologer. Um, I have been interested in it for absolutely years. That that book that um, you mentioned is was given to me by by my brother when I was 16 and I had no real interest in astrology but I now discover it's one of the the big texts it's um Julia and Derek Parker the complete astrologer and you can you know you can look at that and work out how to um draw up a birth chart which nowadays you can just go online and put in your Mm. birthday there it is which is fantastic but drawing it up from scratch like that and learning all the different uh things that go into it is a good way to really learn about it and I really swallowed that book whole at age 16 when I probably should have been doing you know something more (laughs) interesting like studying for exams or what you saw but I absolutely loved it and I think as quite a shy person I know I don't come over as shy but (laughs) but I think it helped me get conversation started and it still does because like I say even even the skeptics of which there are many and I love a skeptic because it's quite a bit of me that's quite skeptical like I say I know there's no nothing to prove this you can't prove astrology right because there's not the evidence there but it's interesting and it's a good starting point for conversations as I say everyone kind of has a view and even if they kind of want to take up you know the cudgels and argue about it I'm up for that and in that way, it's that's how it's in the book to go back to your question. So my kind of own mild scepticism about it, I see it as quite good fun mm-hmm. um, as a useful little tool to give you an insight as well into um, just those surfacey conversations, you know, like we were just having there about our sun signs. A real astrologer would say, well, of course, the reason why you get on is because there'll be different planets that interact with each other and different signs your ascendants might be compatible for example so you know 
it's the book just books don't go much below sort of sunshine surfacey level although joe obviously is a much better expert than me and can can hold their own with you know she's a proper fully fledged astrologer which as she learns very early on in the books does not make any money which is why she ends up being a private investigator and then it kind of suits her skills because um an astrology needs to be a good analyst because it is quite technical. So unlike something which maybe requires, say, more intuition, so I don't know, I'm not an expert in this, but say if you're doing some crystal healing or the tarot or something like that, you can bring a lot of interpretation to that. Well, you do bring interpretation to astrology, but it's based on um, refutable information. So it's based on data, and Joe needs to be good with that. So he needs to understand and, and interpret, analyze and interpret that data to make sense. So it's less about kind of what you feel and more about what the planets are telling you. And um, astrologers would argue a lot about this, but um, it suits her skill set. And that skill set transfers over as a private investigator quite nicely. So, you know, she... She's interested in people. She's interested in what makes them tip. Sometimes the astrology comes in quite handy. And she then uses her kind of analytical skills chiefly. So despite what you might expect from hearing she's an astrologer, she's actually a very rational, logical, down-to-earth person. She's a Virgo, by the way, for Virgos listening. They'll recognize that description. And My she's sister. a detailed person. Pardon? My sister. <laughs> Does that fit? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, it does actually. Yeah, she's a nurse, so she's got a very practical, logical side to her. And also, um, not to get too sidetracked on uh, these sorts of things, but I, you know, I can explain why it's important. But nursing is very much about service and, and support for others. Well, that's a key driver for Virgos. And I'll just explain as well how else I use astrology. So the readers wouldn't necessarily see this. Um but each book is based on a sign of the zodiac. So I start with Aries, which is the first sign, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo. And this current one is Virgo, funnily enough. So I use that as a theme for me as a writer, which I don't really need to share with the readers, but it just helps me tune in when I start the book, when I start the preparation. I think, okay, so we're up to Virgo. So what is this one about? And how can I give that a little bit of a dark side as well? So, so Virgo is all about service and order and having things absolutely right. They're kind of be perfect perfectionists, being quite critical as well. So the kind of sense of judgment is there. Yeah. So I've kind of used that to help me think about the book in, in, in a deeper sense. And there's little clues there for readers who do know something about astrology can pick those up but if you don't know anything about astrology and you think it's a load of nonsense you'll still enjoy it because it, you know joe comes across lots of skeptics macy's a huge skeptic although i think she might be convincing him as we go through the series and he certainly has learned to take her seriously but so you have lots of different people in the books who have different views and 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 she you see her ways of dealing with that and uh, and it's a great tool for me. I, I enjoy using the astrology as a as a way of getting inside my characters' heads and themes for the books. Oh, Does that mean brilliant. it's going to be twelve then in total? Well, we can only hope, can't we? <laughs> I want you to get to Capricorn. 
I will let you know. <laughs> That's terrific. I, 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 my um, sort of interpersonal uh, contact with the, the world of astrology is uh, I spent some time with Russell Grant, who really? is you know a legend isn't he it's that bloke off um gmtv or something like that well he used to do <laughs> the, the 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 readings on on bbc breakfast oh, bbc breakfast okay um when yeah. it was you know good morning britain or whatever no what, what, i can't remember what they called it but um breakfast, breakfast time breakfast time that's it, it was frank boff and selena i and... used to watch that before school every day and yeah i used to go to school as soon as russell had done his um star signs um and you know he's 72 now he's he's a mad the the reason i got to know him was because of his connections cricket he's absolutely massive middlesex fan and is president of you know i don't know whichever uh local club that is near him and um and so we got him in to talk about cricket and it was fascinating because there are quite a lot of parallels between astrology and how you're going to bat uh, he would argue really? yeah 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 anyway he, he, he i didn't take him up on this he did promise to he said you know he offered me to do a reading and and you know figure it i know i know but what a wonderful guy a really yeah. really lovely guy um and, and a legend but anyway um that's you know you, you're writing from what you know you've been a private investigator yes. um no matter how briefly i've knowingly met yeah absolutely yes i brought the two things together that was the 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 spark, if you like, that drove the first book, because I was already keen on astrology. And as I say, sort of using that um, in a fun way, you know, to sort of sort of semi-analyze my friends and so on. And um, yeah, Russell Grant is very famous. I, I, I definitely watched him as well. I mean, yeah, you should have taken him up on that offer, definitely. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I can imagine uh, the connections with cricket, too. I can see that be fun. Anyway, I had this kind of interest in astrology and obviously uh, I've always written and still still write a lot of stuff. I do a diary every day and, you know, I, I write, you know, a lot. So it was it was always a desire to get the astrology into the writing, but I had no desire nor the ability to write any kind of astrology textbook. And then, um, rather like Joe, my character at the very start of the series in Forecast Murder, she is trying to make a living as an astrologer, and she's discovering that, that kind of like I said, it's very hard to make a living as an astrologer. But she does not want to give it up, and she doesn't want to go into a kind of ordinary, boring graduate career. So she's looking around for a job. Now, at the time when I started writing them, I was also looking around for things to do just to earn a bit of extra cash. Now I was in kind of a house share situation and my housemate um, got a job working for a private investigation agency. And she would come home with these stories about her boss, who is nothing at all like Macy in the book. <laughs> but she kind of would rope me in occasionally to help. Um, I didn't get paid very much. And I, I wasn't, unlike her, I wasn't kind of employed by the company, but she would just like give me a bit of cash or, you know, a little present or something for helping out. And most, mostly my job involved keeping the car moving while she was, say, ripping up someone's credit card in front of them or, you know, serving papers on someone who definitely did not want to be subpoenaed somewhere. Um, and so you know when she was expecting something unpleasant like that to happen um she would obviously want to do it quickly and so she'd want 
to drive off pretty fast. And that was really my job. You were the getaway car. I was. <laughs> I trying to explain my driving now, actually. And uh, <laughs> the number of speed awareness courses I've kind of clocked up. Um, sure, I've gone over the quota at times. I love the image of you sort of behind the wheel of Capri, like something out of the Sweeney or something. Then the person getting in the car saying, step on it now. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was a 2CV at the time, which are not the best <laughs> for acceleration, I have to say. Um, but but uh, I love that car. Anyway, so that, that was sort of more my role, to be honest. But I did meet, I did go to the office with her and meet the elusive Miss Bridges. I discovered that, who was her boss, and uh, discovered that, he wasn't at all what you would expect from a private investigator. You know, he wasn't seedy. He had a lovely house. He didn't really have an office. We met in his dining room. We had tea on China cups. We had carrot cake. And we had a lovely chat about the people on his kind of blacklist, I suppose, that he wanted us to find and you know, deliver papers to. That was mainly what it was about. And then you'd have to swear an affidavit that you had served those papers on that person and that would help the legal case to go forward. So it was, it was, it caught my imagination. And I, although the private investigation firm that I've invented, Macy and Wilson, is a much more kind of corporate affair, especially these days in the books, because Macy's doing quite well, actually. Um, he starts small in a little office in Coventry, but now he's got this massive office in Birmingham and staff and everything. So he, it's it's much more corporate the way I've written it, and then the little affair that um, that uh, we visited back then. Although that was a very successful business too, I've just made a slightly different sort of business. Mm. And uh, and so yeah, bringing the two things together, I, I think what it did for me though is because. Um, this this is the sort of job, if I'd read in a book, I'd have thought, oh, no, one, no one really does this, or, you know, the kind of people who do this are nothing like me. But finding myself helping to do it made me realise, oh, well, yes, I can write about this then. Someone like me could do this job and then bring in the astrology in as well. And that kind of created a bit of a hook for the series to the, the fact that you could base each one of them on the sun signs. Yeah, oh, it's brilliant. I mean, you've been writing and publishing quickly. I mean, 2021 for the first book. Um, and so book six coming out now in 2023. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty rapid. Um, what, what's your method? One of the things that's really helping me at the moment is, um, so I'm part of the Sisters in Crime group, um, who is at, um, and the UK-EU chapter. And I kind of discovered them through a, an author pal about six months ago, maybe a bit more than that. And what we do is we set the alarm for seven o'clock every morning. <laughs> and I think this appealed to me because, you know, until recently I was doing a full-time job and I was getting up at like, you know, six o'clock in the morning and that muscle memory was there. So when the alarm goes off, you just think, oh no. Then you think, oh yeah, I've got to get up. And unlike work, you know, I'd only really have to, go around the corner to come into this room put the laptop on and and there would be a, a sort of a driver to kind of get going and I was I'm finding that really really helpful for me it suits suits the way I work 
even before I got involved in those, we call them the early bird sessions, um, that I always did work early in the morning. So when I was working full time, I would just set the alarm, get up early, do a few hours, maybe not a few hours, maybe an hour with a cup of coffee before having to set off for, for work. Mm -hmm. So it does suit me. And um, I always, when I didn't have the sisters in crime group and when they're not active for whatever reason, I will just listen to music during that time. So that's, and I always listen to the same piece of music. I know lots of authors use that as a process. So that was always a good start to the day of doing an hour, an hour or so. Usually it's more like a couple of hours work. And then, of course, yeah, in order to keep that level of productivity up, you, you've kind of got to go back to it. You can't just you can't just rely on those hours. But definitely is a good start. And that helps me mm. no end. Yeah, you got. Yeah. Some, I mean, some great some great authors in that group. I'm just looking at oh, their website at the moment. I mean, we know Bieber, Bieber Pierce. Oh, was... She mentioned it, actually. We spoke to her at Harrogate. She mentioned mm. it. That's what, when you said it, I thought someone's recently told me about that. But it was her. Yeah, it was Bieber. Yeah. Bieber's the person that got me involved and um <laughs> yeah she she's and she is so productive so she's a bit of a role model in terms of oh, yeah. um you know just her work ethic is absolutely amazing um so that helps you know it does help and it's a very supportive um collaborative group you know we we run little sessions for each other on kind of marketing our books and everyone's quite happy to share i mean i find i find um crime writers generally very good in this regard there's a lot of more collaboration than i've ever experienced in corporate world you know where it's a bit more <laughs> kind of everyone has an agenda and it's like you know you're not going to share anything um so yeah it's really nice to be in this kind of new job I still see it as quite a new job um where everyone actually genuinely is it seems to me keen to collaborate and there's this idea isn't there that well there's tons more readers out there than we can write for so <laughs> let's just write as many books as we can and encourage others to do the same and and mm. you know encourage our readers so it's it's a nice environment, Sisters in Crime. It's good. Well, that's terrific. I really, I mean, you're right about the corporate thing. I mean, it's something I bang on about on the podcast, isn't it? <laughs> my, my experience of, you know, the backstabbing of the BBC. Um, I had another dream about it last night, actually. Yet another one. It's a bit like when you have children, isn't it? And they say, who do you love the most? And you say, well, I love you all. So, you know, it's like spreading the joy. Oh, I guess so. Rather than having so. a limit on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you know, you're saying that your professional development going through going to festivals, um, you know, it, it, what what do you gain from that? I mean, I, I love the camaraderie that you get, which you've already described in the, in the Sisters in Crime um, situation, um, which is terrific. But it, I, I'm always blown away whenever I go to a session, just how much I pick up from the different authors is amazing yeah absolutely from the panels and so on yeah well I, as you can see I'm still a, a little bit of me still in corporate world because I see this as my continuing professional development you know I, I see it as like I am an author now so I have to learn from fellow authors and I really do take this quite seriously so I, I set off in my first year the, of, of kind of leaving work and becoming a full-time author was about two years ago and I thought, right, how can I, how can I learn? And one way you learn at work is by attending conferences, isn't it? So I thought, right, this is what I'm going to do. Um, 
So I went, I deliberately set out to go to as many as I could. There was still a little bit of COVID happening then. So some of them were online as opposed to face-to-face. So I went to some online and some face-to-face. I did Noirich. That's got to be the best title for a festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Noirich. And also Bloody Scotland I did online, then joined in online and then uh, Harrogate, which is obviously the big one for us crime writers and also Crimefest, where where I saw you um, <laughs> doing a podcast um, in Bristol. I think that was about it in, in the first year. And then I I did a little analysis uh, for them, for the Crime Writers Association, um, for other writers to see how, you know, once, I, once I'd attended as many as I could in that first year, I kind of well, is this good value for us or not? Because it's quite expensive to go unless mm-hmm. you're lucky enough for your publisher to pay for you. But this was like, you know, my first year of of being an author. So I was kind of funding them all myself. And I was looking at, okay, um, is this good value for writers? And and I think probably the, the conclusion I've come to is some are better than others. So you have to kind of find what fits you. I mean, Harrogate has got a really kind of, almost corporate ritzy feel about it hasn't it it's got all the Mm. big names and the first time I went which is 21 I was absolutely starstruck the whole time oh my goodness you know Richard Osman's here and you know Mark Billingham's (laughs) our first one (laughs) yeah um and so I think that had a quite a different feel to Crime Fest which is far more hands-on so it gives chance a chance for authors like me to actually be on a panel and answer questions and I love all that um the thing that I really like most is when you can meet and talk to readers um so I'm carrying on going but I prefer the ones where you can get access to readers and you can talk to them about what they like in your books and what other books they're reading and you can get a bit of a kind of face-to-face chat with them, either Q&A type thing or on a panel or signing books or whatever. That's that's my favourite sort of interaction, I think. But, I mean, Harrogate is almost an essential, really, because, you know, my editors will be there. And so it, it comes a little bit more like a work thing. I think. Yeah. I know what you mean. I find it very hard to be relaxed at Harrogate. Yeah, we, we were there, but we didn't actually spend that much time at the actual festival because it was so busy and overwhelming and noisy that after about a couple of hours, we'd, oh, let's go into town and have a coffee. And and there is, I mean, you know, I'm sure that the people who are invited to speak don't feel that they should be treated as such. But there is a bit of a them and us because it is the big publishers who get their authors on the on that stage, um, the really big established names. And it's not, in, in, as you say, that is the big contrast with Crime Fest where, um, you know, new authors... Oh, anyone, yeah. Yeah, get, oh, get a chance. Oh, we've had authors on panels at Crime Fest, haven't we? And it's yeah. great because then mm. we see their books on the Waterstones table. <laughs> but it's a very different feel. Um yeah. yeah, it's more democratic, isn't it, Crime yes. Fest in that way? And I mean, they're just different. So both are probably important. I don't think I'd be able not to go to Harrogate, um, but I might do kind of shorter stints because there is something I completely was with you. I'm surprised I didn't see you, you know, in Betty's. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I was escaping more than I was there, really. Yeah, same. <laughs> We went to the pub because <laughs> yeah. it was cheaper, yeah. cheaper to buy beer in the pub than it was. 
Oh, those prices, they were a bit high, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, um, extraordinary. They were extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what was yeah. it you paid? £15.90 for a pint and a large glass of wine. Yes. We had exactly <laughs> the same order. How strange. And yeah, yeah, because I was with my partner and he came to meet me in the tent and went, guess how much that was. <laughs> and I was miles off. <laughs> oh, I, was receipt and I thought, that's not my receipt. <laughs> the round of you know yeah it's one of these I mean, tables that's yeah. that is that is mad that is mad um now you're you're embarking on a new series so um that's very exciting and it's with joffy again but is this um what's the challenge like you know you've you've, you've built a world with with um joe and macy so that's great but you've got a new world you've got a new world to to, to build um what sort of um is it a daunting challenge is the question I'm really going to ask. That's very insightful because it is quite daunting. The The idea uh, is, is one thing. It's a police procedural and it's set in the new... Well, police thriller is better than procedural. Sounds awful, doesn't it? So it's a, a police thriller series and it's set in the New Forest where I used to live. So I lived in the New Forest for a short while and I worked in Southampton and along that coast and uh it's an area that so the area itself is very luscious and and beautiful mm. and and it's got okay it's got Bournemouth in there it's my favorite seaside town I'm anticipating the random question yeah, now I've asked that one <laughs> you got um, sandbanks and all the millionaires and Bournemouth is very nice though my my stepbrother lives there so. yeah yeah, and, but you've also got, as with most seaside towns, you've got that itinerant population that kind of drifting in for seasonal work and then going out again. You've got ports in that area as well. So you have got a certain amount of kind of drugs coming in and uh, immigration to think about one way or the other, legal, illegal, etc. So there's quite a lot of interesting, gritty crime issues, but a lush and rather beautiful setting. So that's kind of a nice contrast. I quite like working with that. And similarly with my characters, it's really, I, I can't really write any other way, but by having strong characters and there's a dynamic between them. So in this case, it's not a kind of off on love relationship like Joe and Macy. It's more the senior female boss, the DCI, and her new detective constable and how um, the new graduate detective constable thinks her DCI is there to cruise before retirement. And so she's slightly scornful of her and slightly thinks she's a bit lazy and kind of skiving. And then you, you see it from the DCI's perspective, who's really there to manage crime and is more of a strategist, really, than an operational person. And yeah. Yeah, maybe she has come there to kind of wind down a little bit as well because she's come from the busy West Midlands and has suffered a, a bit of a difficult past. So you've got this kind of nice interaction between the characters. So all that bit, I'm happy with. But then, of course, you come to the the day-to-day -day writing of it. And yes, it is a complete new world to build their, their mannerisms, their behaviours, their turns of phrase. Even things like the location. So where is this police station? What does it look like? Where do they act, you know, from? So we, we've been down for a couple of research trips. I mean, fun research trips. Oh, yeah. Um, to kind of set that up. But it is 
it takes time. So my I'm probably not going as fast with this one as I kind of ought to. Yeah, but I guess it, you might gallop towards but as it, you get on. <laughs> you know, that new challenge will freshen up the other series as well, I suppose. And you know, it, it's it's drawing you into new areas of the craft that that you haven't explored, perhaps. Very much so. Yeah, and of course, lots more research needed. Um, with on the police side, I have some fantastic help. You know, both reading about it, reference, but also some contacts in the, the police force locally. Um, who've been fantastically helpful, I have to say. And um, I have a, a nice chap I talked to, he's a retired senior police officer from Worcestershire. And um, he, I go to him with a series of questions. And, and last time, because, I, I, you know, his time is so precious. And I'm so grateful for the time he spends with me that I try and get them all kind of ready and themed and think, oh, you know, I must kind of whiz through these. And he was doing the gardening last time I spoke to him. And I could hear the kind of... <laughs> as he kind of dug up the earth. Yeah, and I was yeah. going through my questions. And then and he came, I came to the end and I said, well, thank you very much, you know, for time, I really appreciate this. And he went, is that it? And I went, <laughs> yes. And he said... Oh, they were very simple. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to come up with some more complicated ones next time then. <laughs> That's what I thought. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to go away and think of complicated questions too. But so that's actually, I've got a list of those here. So that's that next conversation is coming up soon. So yes, different sort of research. It's great to be learning new things. It's good to have a creative challenge. And um, yeah, I'm very grateful for the opportunity from Joffrey to have a go at it. Fantastic. Well, that that is is brilliant. Well, with, now the challenge is a different nature but altogether. Respond with is that it? That was easy. I know you've afterwards. been. I know you've been. You've been looking forward to this, but here it is, Rebecca's mm-hmm. random question. Okay, I have a thing that I make up words. For example, these are called sideborgs. <laughs> Um, Rebecca is pointing to my sideburns. Sorry, I forget we're only audio. Yes. Um, <laughs> if you want to, you don't want to go left or right. You want to go straightwards. Um, trying to think. Of I like that. When my boys yeah. were little, they wore sockles. They didn't wear socks because they had little feet. They were sockles. So my question to you is: Have you ever made up a word? I'm sure I do. I've got a good one which I didn't make up, but it. But it's a good local one. So if you've got connections to Worcester, you might you might recognise it. And it's a very handy word. And it's upskittled. 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 No, up-skittled. I don't know that one. I like that. Yeah, and you use it so it's sort of you might say, Oh, I was a bit upskittled by that question. So it means oh. <laughs> a little bit disoriented or a little bit kind of thrown. Mm. Or or it can mean a bit upset as well, a bit kind of um, grumpy. So, oh, that's yeah. a good one for you. I'm very upskittled most yeah. of the time. Yeah, say discombobulated. <laughs> yeah, it's a similar sort of thing. Isn't discombobulated. It? Well, yeah. I mean, our that. number one word in this house is humph. Oh, humph. That's another one I I made up years ago. Yeah, humph. Well, you know, and I'm always in a humph. Yeah. About something. He's in a humph. <laughs> um, I made up so many of them. I mean, I can't even remember them all. And sometimes yeah. I, I forget I've made them up, and I look them up in a dictionary, and they're not there. <laughs> I remember I used to say that. Um, a previous boyfriend, but it was in a peeve. In a peeve. Right. Are you in a peeve? And and eventually he said, I will be in a peeve if you keep asking me if I'm in a peeve. And I thought, maybe that's not the most helpful question. 
<laughs> I ask you, you and a hump, are you humping? Yeah, well, you know, it's, I mean, it's a pretty, I mean, yeah, it's it's very easy to predict that I probably am about something. Yes, and um, Adrian does this thing when he's in a really big hump. He will fold his arms up across his chest, and I call it the Egyptian pose because he looks like an Egyptian mummy. Yeah, I do this. <laughs> and, you know, normally when I'm so horizontal or something, and in whatever context, it'll be. Uh... Well, the very first time I didn't know about the Egyptian pose, and I remember sort of prodding him gently that, "Are you alive?" <laughs> <laughs> you were really cross as well uh, uh, yeah I was I mean you know in terms of creating words I mean I think my kids have come up with some that, that when they were little that have been adopted by the family and um, my favorite of them all um, was uh, my son James who had his birthday yesterday he was 19 <laughs> so we're talking about when he was I don't know 18 months too um, he would point at biscuits and call them skeeters Skeeters, yeah. And Skeeters has stayed with us. Yeah, well, my, my youngest would point at chocolate and go, Akak. <laughs> <laughs> go, Akak, Akak, He's going to explode. Or indeed, my sister, who's now in her 30s, um, with two kids of her own, um, everything was Nang. when she <laughs> That was the first syllable that she came up with. And, you know, Nang, Nang. <laughs> so handy, I think. Yeah, That's it's a great word for great every catch-all object nang yeah 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 so you know i think i, I i've certainly adopted words that the kids have come up with but you and i are always coming up oh, with new we've stuff got a, yeah a whole language of made up stuff like hairy chest is called a man chest no so man, man jump- jumper man, man jumper, jumper. <laughs> a man jumper yeah that's good i like yeah that. i mean basically rebecca's got all sorts of new words for elements of my physique well um, some bits some which we can't go Behind your knees are your knee pits because you have armpits, so you have knee pits. I can, I can completely see the logic of that. It's nice, isn't it, when you get that kind of relationship with someone where you do kind of have your own mm. complete own language and kind of slang for things. So my my partner and I we have we go we have a I suppose other people would call it a date night, um, but we call it clam night, <laughs> and I have no idea where that comes from you go out eating clams (laughs) no i'm allergic to them (laughs) so i think he would know but it's just become you know so are we having a clam night we we do clam night this week (laughs) i don't know whether i don't know no i love that people you know i think that's a true test of any relationship is that you can have you made up phrases yeah and, and, mean a lot to you but anyone else would just be like what <laughs> what are they talking about yeah yeah I think people do that to us quite a lot actually and not necessarily we you know we're, we're kind of laughing like drains over something you think actually no one else would find this remotely amusing but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those, the, that does resonate the it? bonds <laughs> that bind um yeah yeah it's wonderful that's wonderful as indeed as this interview been it's been really fantastic linda thank you so much for uh, you know joining us and um and relishing the prospects of the random question and enjoy your next clam night oh thank you very much it's tonight actually thanks so much it's been great to be a part of the podcast so that now when i listen to it i'll have even more kind of resonance and and keep going with it it's it's fantastic so thank you well, thank you. I mean, that really means a lot yeah. to us. Uh, can't you, you know? Because there are weeks when I go. Mm. <laughs> so, what podcast is that? We're doing the podcast, but no. I mean, 
Thank you. Yeah, uh, no, it's good th to that, know. that really does make us feel bit much better about everything. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, good luck with the new book. Thank you. And where yeah, can yeah. people find you online? Okay, so I'm. I, I don't have my website, but the books are on Amazon. So if you just put in Linda Mather on Amazon, you'll see them all there. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Oh, sorry, is it still Twitter? The X thing. X thing. The X thing. And Instagram and on Facebook as Linda Mather. So you can kind of find me there and, and follow me. And you can find the books on Amazon. Rather sweetly, Linda asked us if she'd done all right in the interview. Um, she was great. She was. She was brilliant. She's a natural. Absolutely. Nothing to worry about there, Linda. <laughs> uh, it was terrific. Thank you so much. Who's our guest next week? Our guest next week is Caroline England. Of course. Well, we're actually about to speak to her. Well, so, we uh, are as we sit here talking. Yes, yes but... <laughs> we are. We're preparing for that. Caroline England. I need a random question. <laughs> you do. You do. We're looking forward to that. We see Caroline. She's at uh, regular festivals as well. Um, so we're, we're looking forward to that. That'll be a terrific interview. Another of the UK's leading crime authors. Absolutely. So we get the kids back this week. We've been um, we've been to the seaside. You've dabbled in the in the water. I've paddled twice. Yes, once in the rain and once in the sunshine. So we'd like to thank Linda Linda Versha, not Linda Linda Versha, for her wonderful hospitality over in Southwold. And your delicious lamb and coffee. Yeah, awesome lunch. Thank you so much. Um, you know, it, it's kind of a, like it's almost like an annual retreat for us now. It did feel a bit like a retreat, didn't it? I, I, the way I described it to Lynn was: I arrive and my mind is full of chaos and it's all whirling yeah, it around was. like a washing yeah. machine. And then she slowly puts it onto the, you know, the final cycle just before the yeah. washing machine stops. She does have an amazingly <laughs> calming effect on both of us because I was in a right old funk Friday night when I realised. Just to put you in the picture, folks, you know, I'm talking about my health all the time, I know, on this podcast, but I, I have obstructive sleep apnea, so I have to have a, a what's called a CPAP machine, um, which is a, a, basically blows air into my, into my mouth and my nose while I'm asleep. Well, you described it to me as it's like sleeping next to Darth Vader. Mm, well, it is. I mean, it makes me sound like Darth Vader if I speak while I have the mask on. Um, it looks like, you know, it looks like a sort of 1960s RAF caboodle on your face but it um is uh, it's vital because otherwise i don't sleep properly and i don't get enough oxygen while i'm asleep and therefore i don't sleep and uh i'd forgotten it so i set off in a funk in the terrible weather we had over the weekend certainly on on friday and saturday and started to drive back to staffordshire a four and a half hour drive and then thought better of it. So I haven't had it this weekend. Uh, you know, survived okay. You did. I think you survived better than you expected. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, it got me in a right old tiz, you know, having driven across country uh, to get, and then realised I'd forgotten the one thing that I should always pack. Um, but that sort of, I think, demonstrates just how sort of chaotic things have been recently. Uh, anyway, the kids come back today. Uh, yeah. They've been away with their dad for for, for a week. Um and uh, I've got sort of sort of hanging over us um, in my side of the family is uh, A-level results coming oh, up. Oh, we've got one A-level as well. Yeah. But uh, AS-level even. Yeah, but so that's, I mean, that's imminent. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a bit of tension around. And I've got a 24-hour ECG on me. For... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you lucky thing. Yes. So, um, I mean, I'm excited about that because I, I want to play tennis with it on. Right. Well, you, you, yeah, you're going to have to clip the device to your skirt oh okay um i don't because i don't know i've never done this before so well you have to wear the thing you so basically when you're sleeping you sort of have it oh my god yeah 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 
It's a sort of, it, it, I suppose it's the size of um, uh, sort of phone charger battery pack thing. Okay. And then you've got all these electrodes that are connected to various places recording. Oh, your... I'm going to be like seven and nine or something. Yeah, yeah a bit like that, yeah. <laughs> Data. Um, and, uh, yeah, you have to sort of conduct your daily life and sleeping well, with he this did, thing on. The GP did say, if you can, play tennis. Get, get your heart going. Okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll endeavour to do so. Absolutely. Oh, I could just have a stressful day at work. That'll do it. Yeah. But we sat down this morning <laughs> over breakfast and we worked out all the things we've got to do this week. And it was just a monumental list. Um, lots of things sort of of life that we I kind of neglected and needed to get done. I actually, I've just thought of one that I didn't put on the list. But just loads of things. Um, and in a sense, having a little break gives you the energy and impetus to sort of start afresh. That's the theory. Well, yeah. How long <laughs> that lasts, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's really important. So yeah, it's been mega, mega busy and it just seems to get I know, ever busier. August is supposed to be, uh, summer hours. Well, yeah, but it's not going to be for us. No, no, because I mean, we have, we have big awesome release. We had a week a release last week, the Deception by Maureen Mayant, which was, uh, you know, it's done well and. Oh, and the competition, the baby competition. Oh, yes. We've announced a winner on that. Yeah. So Justine Gilbert, um, Justine, I'm going to be sending you a prize. Possibly today. Brilliant. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, yeah, it's the usual thing. But we'll catch up with you next week when we return with Caroline England and the Hobcast. Uh, so from myself, Adrian Hobart. And myself, Rebecca Collins. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to go to our website, www.hobeck.net. Details of all our authors, audiobooks, books, you name it, news, it's all there. And you can subscribe and get your free copy of Crime Bites, which is collection of very fine fiction from a number of our authors but apart from that thank you very much for joining us have a great and wonderful and you know what creative week bye bye you've been listening to the hobcast from hobeck books with adrian hobart and rebecca collins you can find the show notes at our website www.hobeck.net you can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.